0: Welcome to Being The Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share with us their experiences on how they're both surviving and thriving in white environments. This week's topic, The Angry Black Man Part 2. The Angry Black Man Part 1 was one of the first episodes that we recorded and is among the most downloaded or is the most downloaded. And I thought it would be interesting as we're approaching our first year anniversary to talk again with author Marcus Burke about his feelings around current events, how he manages the narrative of the angry black man, and he talks a little bit about how he's matured and had to grow some in this last year. He's a great guest, and let me tell you a little bit about him. Marcus Burke grew up in Milton, Massachusetts. He graduated from Susquehanna University, where he played four years of varsity basketball. Burke went on to receive his Master's of Fine Arts at the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is one of the most prestigious writing programs out there. And in that program, he was awarded the Maytag Fellowship, an Iowa Arts Fellowship, and upon graduation, a competitive grant in honor of James Allen McPherson from the University of Iowa MacArthur Foundation Fund. Burke's debut novel, Team 7, was published in 2014 by Doubleday Books. Team 7 received rave reviews and was rated by Oprah Magazine as 10 titles to pick up right now. Burke was the inaugural Creative Writing Fellow at Susquehanna University in 2016-2017 and is a professor in the Creative Writing Department at Texas Tech University. He is currently working feverishly on his next novel. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast our guest daughter, Marcus Burke. Woo! Applause it around.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back.
0: I am thrilled to have you back and I'm excited about this conversation. And so we recorded our initial episode before uh before July 5th, which which is when we debut. So we're about at a year here. Yeah. Um and and I thought that it would be nice to just kind of roll back because so much has mm-hmm. happened in mm-hmm. this year um in the blacknessdom, right? Yes. From, <laughs> from the elections to the mm-hmm. insurrection to George Floyd to the civil unrest. Um mm-hmm. uh, I mean just kinda on and on and on and on. People have gotten lost their jobs for saying the wrong thing and mm-hmm. I'm just, just all manner of blackness.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it's a, it's a thing that I hope isn't just like a cultural carousel moment.
0: Mm, say more about that.
1: Um, you know, I feel like when our founding, you know, I don't know whose fathers they were, but when those founding gentlemen got together, they were pretty good in locking up their papers, and so now that anybody that wasn't really considered a whole man has to still wholly function in a life in this country. Right. There's basically a list of others. that. So we've almost lined up and we're like, hey, all of us would like to be made whole. Yeah. And the government kind of almost, at that point it almost to me is like a merry-go-round where everybody gets on their little thing and you'll get a chance to go up and down and maybe you'll get Mm -hmm. a little more whole. Next. And... It's almost like, you know, the Native Americans can have a moment. The Blacks can have a moment. You know, any other can have a moment where you get, like, a few inches of progress toward being whole. And if you're not happy with that, you're ungrateful. Mm, mm. And I just, you know, I think, I mean, interestingly enough, you think about something like the insurrection. Mm -hmm. Now... We were together when Trump originally got elected. We were I remember, together. I remember I was at your home that day. and yes.
0: mm-hmm. The next day, the next day. The next day.
1: Mm-hmm. And we all had breakfast together. And it just kind of felt like, what are we waiting into? Because mm. we don't really know what's on the other side of that. A lot of people elected him, which means there's a lot of sentiments out here. And I just look at it like, you know... If you want to have a correlative, right? You look at something like the Black Million Man March. Farrakhan called a million black men to D.C. That's a militia. If If he wanted to get up on that stage and say, all right, fellas, let's go uh, act in our own best self-interest, there would have been a problem in the country that day. Mm -hmm. A big problem. It would have been a massacre. It would have been a massacre. It would, it would have, have been, been a massacre. And and so now to me, how is it that you plan an insurrection online? I had seen flyers that were like, We're gonna meet up on the sixth and we're gonna we're gonna show them how we feel. And if you know anything about the feds, I mean they don't lose. You know, just behind God, the feds know everything. And they're going to pretend as if there was some kind of glitch where they left those boys down there by themselves. I mean, former Olympians were there and the former Olympian, he got a slap on the wrist. He got a
0: warning.
1: He was a former Olympian from Colorado. He was a swimmer and they have pictures of him walking in with Olympic gear on. And they contacted him back in Colorado and they basically told him, like, you don't do that again. But I just think about Ferguson. Uh... I think about Oklahoma. You think about Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Black people were just trying to protect what was theirs. just try- I mean, you think about Oklahoma. You think about Black Wall Street. Like, what happened that, like, there was that kind of a Black loss and no recompense, right? And we now have a ragtag group of Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. They have stormed the Capitol. The last time that happened, the British were. I mean, that is tapping into such old history. And Mm -hmm. I don't see any public accountability. We're not getting told how the QAnon shaman is being prosecuted but we know that he's been switched from one jail to another so he can have organic food Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i mean it's just one of those things where it's like how many brothers don't agree with the diet in jail and they didn't run through the capital disrespectfully Mm -hmm. risk people's lives and everything and you know they just sometimes were trying to be heard and so i mean. This whole situation has shown you the lawlessness of the white man in this country.
0: Well, here's the fascinating contrast, if you will. Um, Dr. Ibrahim Kendi, the author of um, How to Be Mm -hmm. Anti-Racist, speaks very clearly that the more anti-racist sentiment or the more anti-racism is advanced, the more that there will be also a... um, advancing of racism. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting kind of contrast to be in the middle of what feels like a racial renaissance yes. at some level, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um that I have been busier in my speaking business than I ever have been.
1: Really?
0: I mean ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like black is the new black, right? Mm.
1: <laughs>
0: so there's that, right? Right, right? But then there's this QAnon skinhead
1: mm-hmm.
0: proud, boy. proud Boys mm-hmm. white nationalists mm-hmm. America first thing that's yep. happening alongside of it mm-hmm. and so it's an interesting time to sit in issues about race but I wonder what you what your reaction is to that kind of just position or whatever that is.
1: Um, to me, it seems very American. Mm. It it just seems very American. You know, I had a mentor, and his name was James Allen McPherson. Mm-hmm. He's the first black man to win the Pulitzer Prize. And when I began studying with him, I was only twenty two years old, and I had just left Central Pennsylvania. Uh which is one of the most racist places I've ever lived in the country. And I remember when I got to Iowa, I was still kind of reeling from some of those events, you know? And Mm -hmm. I remember the program that I went to was very storied. So PBS NewsHour had come and they came to my apartment and they interviewed me there. And so they featured me prominently in this news hour story. And um, we we're at this place around the 75th reunion of our, the Ira Writers Workshop. And there was this guy and he was very arrogant and very upset because he felt like they should have let him plan the entire deal. And then he was like, oh yeah. And then there's the whole PBS thing. Let's show off our token. Let's just show oh. off our token. You know, we got a good one here. Now, in those moments, you know, you got to, you know, this is over 10 years ago. I was only a few months off of a college campus as a student. Sure. So um, my conflict resolution skills were yet still growing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I definitely let this gentleman know that, um even though his ego feels qualified to do such things that the Iowa writers workshop was a very intentional place and they do not mince words or get confused about talent. They have a track record. And so I just kind of said to him like, sir, um, Was this know, somebody
0: from PBS or from?
1: No, this was a fellow student at the workshop. It was a white man. He was a mm. poet and I started to realize that there was this subsect of my counterparts that felt very ignored. Mm. They felt very ignored. And then, like, when they see these minorities slipping into these spots that they just know in their egotistical heads that, like, they would shine so much brighter in, then you see the vitriol come alongside Mm -hmm. the promotion because, you know, just as many people were like, wow, you made us look great. Thank you. This one guy was just like, and they had to talk to the one black guy. And, you know, I thought it was a reduction actually, because I Mm -hmm. said like, I'm not the one black guy here. I am one exceptional writer amongst many that happens to be black. Mm. So like, let's get that understood first. Like Mm -hmm. if I wasn't talented, if Mm -hmm. I wasn't extraordinary at what I do, Mm -hmm. Iowa is very friendly. They'll say hi to you, but you can't come here. Mm -hmm. Just that simple. And so honestly, in those environments, it almost becomes more intense because I can't give you the out of ignorance because I know you're not stupid. Mm. Like I know for a fact That you're not dumb
0: So so that's a really great example Of this juxtaposition And so what an elevation Of a black writer And that a white writer Is is in white lash If you will mm-hmm. And I'm wondering as you have traveled In this last year um, Both um, where you currently live And in other places Although I know we've been on lockdown Um mm-hmm. Have you experienced some of that? White lash, backlash. Mm-hmm. Um Absolutely. Mm-hmm. tell us about that.
1: Um, I will name no institutions. I have taught at many.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good. Stay your boy, brother.
1: I will say that in my history of being an educator, I have come across copious amounts of People that don't look like me, mm-hmm. that were agitated, that they had to learn from somebody that looked like me. Mm-hmm. And there's this uh adversarial thing that happens where they believe that they know more about this craft than you. Mm-hmm. I mean, understand, I had a student come into my office at an institution that I was teaching at. And he sat down and said to me, "You need to remember, you're the professor, and I'd like to give you some pedagogy tips."
0: Yes, I remember you. You shared that I with us last time.
1: <laughs> I said pedagogy tips. Mm-hmm. I said, "Sir, you're in this class because you don't know, and I know you don't know." And I think it happens. It happens quite often from students. Where I had a student one time that. You know, there's certain days you have the energy to be on fire about this. And there's other days that like, you have to handle the immediate business in your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just didn't have the energy to like, give somebody 10 minutes of agitation about the climate. And this guy went ahead to me and said, well, are you even black? Oh. And I said, every day of my life, but you know, you gotta understand <laughs> As a black man, I don't have to seek this stuff out. Right. It'll come around. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I think, I think one of the biggest things that I found interesting was, you know, I was talking to a friend and, you know, all the George Floyd stuff happened and everybody was all in the streets and and he was so tired. And he said, like, you know, man, it's just, you know, I feel so pressured, like, every day I got to do something. And, you know, and... It'll been going on about three maybe a month. And I was just like, it's interesting that you having to get up every day and consider a racial climate is fatiguing to you when like you haven't even begun to think about what it's like as like a black person going into a white room. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) A a white room,
1: a, a white room of Educators, a white room of students, a white room of administrators, and I mean, I've been told, you know, at, you know, no, you know, I've been told by upper administration when I, so I have had those moments where I was in a meeting. It was after the election. Um, it was after one of the elections when Trump was in office and, or just, no, it was when Trump got in office, because he only elected once. And uh, I had been dealing with a lot of racism from the students. Like just them thinking that things that they were going to say in solidarity were just not, you know, I had a student telling me how she almost joined the Aryan nation. And I didn't know where any of that was in the name of kinship. Um, And, you know, I said to this guy, I said, these are grown adults that have children themselves. I'm not like you don't pay me enough to take the time to educate them on writing in English and then like decency and humanity. Way above the pay rate, Like because these are the people that are germinating the seeds of tomorrow. It's bigger than me. Right. And this man fixed his mouth to say, well, aren't you an educator? Aren't these teachable moments? And so I said, oh, so the onus is on the victim to make the perpetrator feel better about their violation. Is this what I'm supposed to be understanding right now? Mm -hmm. And I think it took that gentleman a long time to come around to just how wrong his response was. And, you know, my fellow colleagues on the faculty, like everybody felt it. Like nobody, like I didn't really have to over-explain it. After everybody was just like, yeah, that wasn't okay. And it was actually a beautiful thing, really, because it was one of the first times in academia my colleagues rallied around it, actually. Like Mm. they were like no we don't accept that and we've pushed programming we've pushed agendas and i think that like um that was a moment where an ugly turned into a situation where allies became involved in a productive way you know you can hate on me because i show up on campus as a whole Black man, my whole Black self, and they knew what they were getting when they got me. Sure. So I don't really feel like I need to do anything more than I've been doing. I don't have to all of a sudden start wearing three-piece suits to campus because that's just not me.
0: But I think what it speaks to, though, is this notion of um, acculturation and assimilation. Mm. That's Mm. what I really meant. Mm. And how, um, which is a whole nother talk show, Uh. um, we, we all wear... The mask, or choose to engage with the mask, as Langston Hughes says, in varying ways.
1: Right, mm-hmm. right.
0: So, how did you end up feeling in those situations where um, that it was clear that there was an affront to where you came from, and 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 maybe even who you are?
1: Um, it was a thing that made me feel like. People that despise diversity rather than celebrate diversity, Mm -hmm. it's their own limitation because I have an omni-American group of friends. I got white friends, black friends, gay, lesbian, every... But having those people in your lives help you get perspectives that are not always your dominant perspective. And sometimes... The way you can have an epiphanic moment from just talking to somebody that's had a different way of life and sure you know i feel like to me i would rather grow and continue to have relationships that are challenging or you know i mean i have friends that we from college we joke i got one teammate from college my man he is a staunch republican this man has my book in his office Right next to Glenn Beck's. Okay. Like, like, but, but that's my man, you know, right. like and, right. and he's like, you know, can you believe? Look at the books I got in here. You know? And and it's like, you know, we have different politics and we might joke, we might text each other on election day, like, I hope you're voting, even if we might not be voting the same. Mm-hmm. And and it's the thing because, you know, just because we have different politics doesn't mean we can't be friends. Sure, sure, of course. If we can allow space for it, right?
0: Well, and and, but the part of the complexity in the current environment that we live in is that there's little space for those kinds of, there's little space for that kind of agree to disagree or agree to
1: be connected. I'll give you a story about me and this guy. He hit me up one time. He sent some kind of meme about Trump, Stacey. I was tired. I was not in the mood. I was just kind of like, and you think this is funny? And- I could tell he kind of got jarred and I said, bro, like I'm not amused. And I could tell he wanted to start some kind of back and forth. And like, before I like get out of character with somebody, I'll say nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My man emailed, emailed me maybe a month later with a Washington post article that said like, stop making jokes at your black friends. They're tired. Oh. And he sent me the article and he wrote to me and he said, I love you like a brother, I always will. I just want you to know, I'm so sorry. Wow. He was like, I wanted to have a back and forth conversation like we used to in the back in the day, but I haven't realized so much has changed. That like so maybe, much has changed. maybe that's not the easiest thing right now. And Mm-mm. I respected him because the thing sure. is, you know, I don't know if I can cancel somebody in that way, right? Like just you're done. Because it's Mm -hmm. like, mm, me and this guy have a ton of history together. And I didn't see him being malicious. I saw him being in earnest ignorant. Like, he just really didn't get it. And I just didn't have the energy to, like, explain at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't say anything. Then this gentleman reached out to me and said, "Bruh, I'm so sorry. How are you? Let's just talk. And, And I can accept that.
0: So, let me let me ask this just for a, about a couple of watershed moments mm-hmm. in this in since the last time we talked. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction to the election? The presidential election.
1: I still feel like if black people had had an insurrection it would have been one of the biggest black massacres in American history.
0: It would history. have been
1: bigger than Tulsa. Bigger than Tulsa? Mhm. <sighs> Bigger than some of our world atrocities. Mm-hmm, because, yeah. I mean, we militarized Ferguson. and you going to tell me we're going to run up in the Capitol building? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was clearly cahoots and conspiracies around why there was nobody down there protecting those people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I think with the election, Donald Trump has done something... Even more, I mean, the, the media. Yeah, you should be curious about why they're telling you what they're telling you. But the extra amount of un of distrust he's infused into the media, I think, are what keep his fanatics going.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you bet. Know, he was very strategic with you know, that. Just mm-hmm. the whole fake news. We, we
1: didn't. We didn't lose.
0: Mm-hmm. The big lie.
1: Mm-hmm. And-
0: well, but the whole the whole advancing the notion of fake news really is what um, I think kind of fueled some of that distrust uh, in the media
1: yeah um, I I, I think I you know this might be a hot take I mean I think I'm glad that Trump is gone Mm -hmm. though I don't know if I'm fully satisfied with what the Biden administration is doing Mm -hmm.
0: Mm mm-hmm that's reasonable
1: um at least they've gone back to being qualified politicians, but uh, I think it was quite inhumane to wait. People wait that long to get a stimulus when it was their fault that people were broke. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So what we know is that the, the pandemic disproportionately impacted uh, people of color, particularly in, in rates of death and dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in your stance uh, from the place of a black male, um, or even thinking about the angry black man—I don't know what to call it—myth, misnomer,
1: um,
0: syndrome. Uh, what, 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 what's your reaction? I just love to get.
1: My reaction is just that our government needed to have done a better job, mm. and these are the moments that call into the and focus that we more often than not have to put ourselves in harm's way to make a living And mm-hmm. ways that people that are maybe up the totem pole get to direct their affairs from safety. Mm-hmm. And I thought the biggest disconnect was just that, you know, I mean, there was other countries that were taking care of their citizens.
0: Mm-hmm. Look what
1: Canada was doing. You know, and we have more money than Why is it with all the billionaires in this country? I mean, I think it draws in a stark contrast the deep level of evil capitalistic greed that is so deeply ingrained in so many of the wealthy hearts in this country. Sure. Because, I mean, why the lower class has to cry so hard for a livable wage when we got all these boomers that could come home, work in a factory, and take care of their family. And that was normal. And I just don't understand why a livable wage right now seems to be such an affront to people that have billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of of dollars. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean... I also think that, like, I don't know. I think there is so much plain sight injustice in this country mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, you know, you can give extra unemployment benefits, but I mean, until there are certain groups that are fundamentally made whole, I mean, Dr. Joy DeGruce said it until we take responsibility for our own original sin, nothing will truly be healed in this country.
0: I think that there's some truth in that. It's interesting um, with the pandemic, I think that you're dead on. You know, what I have have come to in the last year is really moving from thinking about these discrete hyper-white spaces to really conceptualizing America as a white space. Mm-hmm. And that there certainly are spaces within America that are not uh, phenotypically white, mm-hmm. but that we all are dealing with the system of racism,
1: right? And and the thing is, is it acts against its own best self interest. It does, where, it
0: does
1: like it's a virus, it's a pandemic, right? Nothing really to argue about that, but you know, I mean, I live down here in Texas. Yes, you do. I mean, you going to a supermarket now? Masks yeah sure thing of the past i mean thing of the past i mean people more look at you down here like
0: why you got on a mask Uh oh
1: you're still on that and yep i'm still on that um because i mean until i hear the pandemic is done um i'm gonna need to protect myself because i feel like higher education and healthcare are two of the last bastions of exclusivity in this country Mm -hmm. and even till this day I still have to fight with healthcare providers I still have to just for what's right I mean Mm -hmm. I think right now I don't like going into the doctor for a checkup Mm -hmm. expressing certain issues and having him kind of be like oh yeah oh yeah sounds tough like you know where you know you don't actually, and it's like a thing that it's a moral thing, right? Like you can't make somebody care enough to yes. actually see about you. you bet. I mean, absolutely. And as a black man, I mean, I've went into healthcare providers where it's like they're afraid to touch me. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just kind of, you know, they are kind of like put a little stethoscope to you. You know, <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Tell me whatever you need to tell me, and I'll get you out of here. And I, I I despise that um, mm-hmm. because I feel like sometimes there's already a distrust with the healthcare system in our community. You bet. And- Which is why I we
0: got th- vaccine hesitancy.
1: Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have a history that says you just be careful with all right. that. You know, mm-hmm. because, uh, right. you know, just- I mean it, it it's a thing that it takes me back to being in South Africa and riding around South Africa and seeing the gentlemen that didn't have their two front teeth mm-hmm. because of eugenics and they were telling them, you know, they were doing experiments on it, they were telling you kiss better and you just see grand Swathesmen, no front teeth. And Wow. It it's a thing that you're like, man, like if you are in charge of the dominant narrative you can convince people of anything
0: well true and and uh, how when you have those experiences at the doctor's office how do you how do you manage those
1: Well um, I've kind of been dealing with that lately where one you feel arrested because you're like, I need somebody to address my health. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you feel vulnerable because you can see this man's face. You can't see his heart. And, wow, you know, just because you've told somebody something doesn't mean that they're going to respond with the fullness of their knowledge because maybe they don't care. And uh, I, I I remember I, I had a thing where I said one time to a doctor's office, I said, I have, I, I, I'm have feeling very mistreated right now. I don't feel like you care. And the lady said, is that right? Okay. I hung up on Wow. And then I had to call and it had to be escalated. And it's just like there's times where um, there is a poet, Shara McCullough. I really love her work. Um, she came to visit my class several years ago and they were asking her kind of like how she dealt with racism in academia. You know, mm-hmm. she's a black woman, she's Jamaican. Wonderful poet. And she basically gave such a human answer. Like I felt her when she said, some days I have the energy to like get into it. But there's some days I don't have the energy right. to wave the bloodstained banner and,
0: <laughs> you, know, blood st- banner.
1: you know, just stand on the front line and mm-hmm. whatever. Because there's times that you're like, you know, if I was to allow myself to be on fire about racial injustice all day, I'd never get anything in common. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I always have to remind myself that racism is a distraction more than anything.
0: Well, you sound like Miss um, Toni Morrison.
1: Just, but it's just That's a, what she
0: says. It's a distraction. And then it, the bar gets moved,
1: Right, because it's like, you know, now, because it's like, I'm a writer, right? Like, I can't right. just go to a store and be pissed off and just check you out and run your register. I need to have the mental capacity to block everything out and really get there with my art. And if you allow... Anger to creep into that. Sometimes it's like when you look back on the work, it's not work. It's just like you tapped a vein of anger. Sure. And you know, there's only so many ways you can like you know string together some unsavory words. It, it just it's sure. it's not going to have the same effect. And
0: I understand that. So when you think about the between now and the last time that we talk,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is there something? as you think about your identity as as a whole Black man, is there something that you find yourself particularly angered by or reactive to?
1: I think if there's something as a Black man that I feel myself more angered by than reactive to, because as a Black man, the way in which you respond to things tells a great deal about how your self-preservation is going to work moving Sure, through. But I do find myself agitated by, I'll say this, right? Like in some form or fashion, I'm considered like a successful black man. Sure. And I feel like there is a deeper level of scrutiny on my life, And the decisions that I make with my life. You bet. I'm a person that's hyper aware that like underneath jokes is truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just love some people that like want to make all the jokes. Mm -hmm. And then when you're like, I don't know if I'm amused anymore. (laughs) Then you're the one that's aggressive. Sure. And I guess I just think that when you're a semi-public figure in a certain right, your humanity is grandly diminished and you're looked at for what you represent in terms of your medals or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I say, that's kind of like the zoo, you know, like everybody can Mm -hmm. come and look, but they start tapping the glass and you turn and show your fangs. Now you're the angry black man. And, and I guess it it just reminds me of the way that Farrakhan said, you know, Everybody's so interested in us being peaceful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But with all of the injustice we endure in perpetuity, habitually, should we be mm. peaceful? Should, you know, if like, should we be? You know, because I don't know if peaceful is working. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, I think it's a thing that I just, I guess if there's anything I rail against, it's just that, I feel like I see in some of the hyper white spaces that I'm in where it reminds me of the dichotomy in basketball, which is like big guys have to prove they can't play and little guys have to prove they can play. Okay. And I look at it like there's people I see that like just because of their... You know physicality it's like assumed that they can be good in this space Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there's other people that like you know maybe aren't just some big strapping anglo-saxon white men sure that are just as qualified but Mm -hmm. the way in which they have to jump through hoops and contort themselves just for it to come back around to to base one of this person is overqualified and we should let them go ahead and do what they got to do. I think sometimes those are the things that kind of agitate me because if all things were considered, I feel like there are times that I see certain things where within academia, I can see sometimes it's a bit of a boys club, Mm. you know, like I've seen things where certain people are friends with other people. And so...
0: A boys club or a white boys club?
1: I would say a white person's club. How about that? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Because it's men and women. Because I just know that I had a moment where there was some friction with my scheduling. And uh, I had to hold my peace because... I was aware of several other situations where individuals had standing moments almost in perpetuity because of activities that they did in their days. Mm -hmm. Schedulers knew it and they acquiesced. But when I made some mention of the the discrepancies with my schedule, I was more just like, deal with that. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. When you're already aware of those situations, Mm -hmm. it's hard for you to deal with people that you already know are unscrupled Mm. because of what they are actively doing. I got you. And they're actively denying that they're doing it as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes those are things that agitate me because you can with institutions there's so many there's so much bureaucratic red tape there's a lot of ways you can explain things but sometimes it becomes very stark when you're the only black man in the department Mm -hmm. and you're like i'm the only black man here why do i seem to be one of the only people here dealing with this you can explain it any other way you want but i'm just telling you this doesn't look good
0: yeah I, i i had a situation um in my career where um it was very high stress and you know, the consequence of error for my job is pretty high. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and, uh, I was working with a team of folks and it seemed like when I made an error that it was, it was like the biggest, you over the coals. like we, like we need to have a meeting about the error. Mm-hmm. But when other people made an error that, mm-hmm. um, it was okay. It was, well, you know, we're all working so hard and da 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 And it was, I would, I had oftentimes tried to make sense of it mm-hmm. until I made sense of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the only thing that's different about me and them, indeed. What you can't see, listeners, is Marcus is rubbing his his brown arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so that there there was that. And so, and sometimes it's even hard to make sense of it quickly. You think that, oh, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with it's like yeah. So I got to ask this and, and then I'm I um we we're, we're going to end mm-hmm. for today. So what can white people do? I got to ask the question you've answered it more than once before. Mm-hmm. The answer given, changes though. <laughs> I know. I know that's why I'm going to ask it again. Um given um the current state of uh, particularly the juxtaposition that we talked about of the advancement around anti-racism and the statements and the commercials and and the clothing and target and all, all the things yep. um against the white backlash uh-huh. uh, around um the Proud Boys and QAnon and all the things.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, what what can they do to make the world more inclusive, more Um, equitable, um, more socially just?
1: Um, They have to invest in being more aware of the humanity of Black people. Mm. Um, Mm. Oh, too often do I see self-congratulatory rooms of white people that have just planned a thing for the others. And usually when I'm in these spaces, my first question is, that's a cool plan, but where are these Negroes supposed to come from? Yeah. Like, you know, we we always make these plans without consulting black folks, then we roll them out to black folks, they're considered ill fitted and now it's a problem. And mm-hmm. I would say just before you go about making a plan, maybe you should ask some questions and sit mm. down with the people. Maybe you should sit down with your target audience and ask them what they need. Mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, shuffling around your budgets, writing up your papers and kind of coming through with help as if you're like handing down law. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I always maintain you can't get mad at somebody if you help them and the way in which you're helping them, they didn't ask you for.
0: Well, I, I often say it's important to consider whose voice is centered,
1: Right. And
0: right in the conversation. And I
1: think something that agitates me in this kind of anti-racism and white spaces thing is that I see too much of the hero complex, the God <laughs> complex, the savior complex, where yeah,
0: it's annoying. There's
1: times that I'm like if you're really trying to help this group of people, why is it your voice is taking up so much room? In the- yeah. You know, sometimes it's just, I've seen people take up so much room in these spaces mm-hmm. that the people that really needed to like cleanse their palate of all of these things, it's almost like they speak for two seconds and then they get cut off mm-hmm. yep. with somebody else trying to like give them a correlative from their life. And- yes right it's just right. not active listening you're not actively That's trying true. to hear this person you're trying to equalize with this person like oh i've been there too and it's like but you have this style
0: yeah and, and if and, you have it's not your moment
1: right like i mean i i was in a meeting just the other day with some people and they were athletes amazing wonderful storied athletes and I connected with them on so many levels and there were so many things that they had told me about their story that I was like, man, we could really talk. But at the time, this meeting was not about me. Sure. So it's like, if we progress in how we work together, Mm -hmm. we'll find all that out. But Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's just, it agitates me when that level of guilt almost like smothers out the opportunity to actually hear the story. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much again. That was really rich. I appreciate (laughs) you taking the time to talk to me. It's always a pleasure.
1: It is always a pleasure. I'll always be a friend of the podcast and I'll have you back whenever. (laughs) All
0: right. That sounds good. I will.
1: All right. Thank
0: you so much to Marcus Burke for sharing his wisdom, story, and authenticity with us today. It's great to hear you talk some about all the things that have happened around us for all of us this year. Be sure to stay tuned and come back next week for our episode, but also make sure that you listen closely because in the coming weeks, we'll also be sharing an episode from Marcus Burke, talking a little bit about working with black and brown people in white spaces. Until then, thanks for your support. We've reached 5,000 downloads, which is pretty amazing. And thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by David's Delicious Delights.com. David's Delicious Delights.com, custom made, personalized, Cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsaliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of thirty four ninety nine or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.